Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. In the 28th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we talk to writer Gary Holpin about his Southwest Coast Path experiences. Presenter and writer Marianne Okotta talks about her new book. And it could become a bit monotonous where every day is about the same and you walk a, lot, a long way and lots of effort. But on the Southwest Coast Path, every few minutes the scenery changes. Explorer Paul Rose on his new TV series. Hello and you're very welcome to the Walks Around Button podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide for the next 30 minutes of outdoor and walking chat here on the podcast. And welcome to a new season of the Walks Around Button podcast. Coming up in the next couple of editions we'll be chatting to the likes of Christopher Somerville, Tristan Gooley, Alan Hinks and many more. And we'll be finding out about walking in some interesting places including the Isles of Scilly, Jersey and a fascinating trek between Sweden and Norway. So to keep up to date with the latest edition, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or on YouTube, or follow us on Audio Boom. And don't forget our television series too. We're just in the middle of producing series three at the moment, which airs in the UK in December. And it's also available to buy or stream on Amazon Prime. As always, you can find out all the information on our website, walksfoundbutton.co.uk. Well, we've got a bit of a Southwest Coast Path theme this month. Later, Paul Rose tells us about his new television series, about this epic long-distance trail. But first, the writer Gary Holpin wrote a book, illustrated with some stunning photographs, about his local part of the Southwest Coast Path back in 2014. And I chatted to him a while ago about how he started on his journey along the path. I moved to Devon in 2003 and I remember spending a few years telling my friends and family how wonderful it was living in Devon because we were so near to the coast and the moors and beautiful countryside. In 2007, I suddenly realised I'd said it for four years, but I never actually went. <laughs> and, so, and so basically, I, I just decided one day I should do something about it, really. So um, I bought a guidebook to the Southwest Coast Park because I've vaguely heard of it. I bought a rucksack and some boots. And um, one September morning, I basically rolled up in mine head and did the first few days of the coast path. And um, the rest is history, as they say. It's the longest national trail in England and Wales. How did you find it? My, my first my first experience was mixed. Um, the first day was fantastic, walking uh, around the Exmoor, the coast where Exmoor meets the sea was was, was wonderful. Um, you know, beautiful sunshine, gorse and heather, lovely. After about three or four days of walking, being a bit unfit and not being used not used to long distance walking, I was ill prepared for what it does to your body. Right. <laughs> so, so I think by about day four, I had blisters that I hadn't treated because I didn't realise uh, what to do with them and, and everything was aching and I was, I was basically in agony <laughs> so I was quite unprepared <laughs> for being a long distance walker however after that um, I went home and I thought that was wonderful and basically over the next two years I was completely obsessed and every free weekend I went back to the coast path did the next bit um, and two years later I found myself in pool in Dorset. Now, obviously, lots of people who do long-distance trails do them in one long go. 
But in some ways, people like yourself who've done it over weeks or years, in fact, yeah. in a way, it shows more commitment. Yes. Well, well, I don't know. I think physically doing it in one go is, is, is a bigger commitment. But certainly the logistics of doing it in bits are really quite difficult. You know, finding how you're going to get to the start and finding bed and breakfast to stay in and uh, getting home at the end is, is, mm. is quite it's quite difficult, especially as some of the parts of the Southwest Coast Park are quite remote. But so it's all part of the fun, actually. It's all part of the fun, planning how to do it. I would basically drive to the start and walk two or three days and then try and get public transport back to my car. It's possible, it's possible in most locations. I, I only had to resort to taxis, I think, twice. That's not bad going. Not bad. What was the attraction to the southwest coast path for you? Uh, for me personally, it's because it's close. It's <laughs> a kind um, of reason. I mean, I keep on thinking when I when I finish the coast path for the second time, I might venture uh, and do the Wales coast path or something because uh, I know that parts of that, especially Pembrokeshire, are beautiful as well. Mm. But um, you know, living yes. in Devon, um, you know, it's on my doorstep. Uh, it's just it's just easier. <laughs> but but also, you know, it's the longest. It's so varied, actually. Um, one of the, one of the most amazing things about it is the variety. From you know, there's a, there's one big city that's Plymouth. Um, there's lots of little coastal towns, but there's also mm. really long remote stretches where you just have the, the seagulls for company. There's a lot of variety between the north and the south sections yeah. of the route. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to split it down, really. But, I mean, the, the first bit from Minehead is, is kind of rolling hills of Exmoor. Mm. And then the, the sort of North Devon and, and, north, and north Somerset part is really rugged. And, you know, the geology is, is, is amazing. And then you sort of eventually get to the South Devon area, which is lovely wooded river valleys and uh, completely different again. Um, and then, you know, near the end, when you're in Dorset, it's completely different again. You have, you know, the white cliffs and the blue seas. So, yeah, there's huge amounts of variety in the in the scenery, but also in the, you know, every little fishing town and, and village is different as well. So how did the book come about? Um, the book, well... The, the first time I went around the coast path, I would definitely not call myself a photographer. I kept on trying to take photos of the of the path, you know, to capture the, the beautiful views. And they were all utterly awful. <laughs> and I was constantly frustrated that I, I couldn't I couldn't capture any images that did the coast justice. So on my second time around, so about about the time I finished the coast path for the first time, I thought, right, I really want to try and capture a photo that does does the coast justice. So um, I bought myself a half decent camera. I read a couple of books on how to take photographs and I just kept practicing and my photography improved to the point that friends and family were saying, oh, he's quite good actually. And a, a friend of mine who, who's, a, who's an author um, actually bullied me, and I mean bullied me, into contacting a publisher about doing a book. So I was asked to do a book about actually any part of the southwest coast, uh, a bit of my choice. And so I chose the bit that was near me. <laughs> a sensible idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, just because of the logistics. So, so I chose a 100-mile stretch between Exmouth and Plymouth. The, the book is kind of a mixture of photos celebrating the beauty of the coast uh, and also kind of a, a hopefully an easily accessible whistle-stop history of the coast as well. So if people want to find out more about you and your book, how do they get in touch with you? Tells, uh, well, I have a website which says a bit about my journey and my book and things at um, garyholpin.co.uk. So I'm at Gary Holpin on Twitter. Or if you put my name into Amazon, you'll find me as well. Thanks, Gary. My pleasure. And you can get more information about Gary's work on the show notes to this edition of the podcast on our blog. And you can get to that by clicking through from our website, walksaroundbritain.co.uk. 
Now, how often have you been walking through the countryside of Britain and seen something odd, something peculiar, something you can't really put your finger on? Now, you know it's quite important because it's got an aura about it, but there's no signs to tell you anything about it whatsoever. Well, a new book from writer and anthropologist Mariana Cotter called Hidden Histories, A Spotter's Guide to the British Landscape will give you all the answers. I went to interview Marianne about it, but not in the great British countryside, but in a pub in London. So why are we here in a pub in London talking about outdoor stuff? We are in the fantastic Lamb and Flag uh, historic pub in central London because, partly, because it's round the corner from Stamford's Travel Bookshop, which is an awesome bookshop for all your map needs and for inspiring adventures of all kinds. And earlier this evening, I was incredibly fortunate to launch my new book, Hidden Histories, Spotter's Guide to the British Landscape at Stamford's. So tell us more about the book. So I've, I've seen the book, we've got it on the website at the moment. It's a beautiful book, but tell me more about how it came about. So the idea behind Hidden Histories is to give people the first clues about how to puzzle out what they might be seeing in the landscape and what it might be telling them. So if you're the kind of person who's walked through a field and, and seen lumps and bumps and kind of wondered what, what the lumps and bumps might be, what story do those lumps and bumps possibly tell you about the history of this area, this is the book for you. It covers things like Ridge and Furrow, it covers things like Iron Age hill forts, white horses on hills, ancient burial mounds, Roman roads, corpse roads, horse tracks, ancient woodlands, old churches, pub names, all sorts of things. Pretty much whatever came to my mind on my journeys around the British countryside and went, oh, that's interesting, I wonder about that. And so I went around answering the questions that had popped into my own mind. The great thing is that we're going to find a lot of these things as we go out in our normal walks and we're not really going to know what they are so it's really great to have something, a definitive guide to what you can find out from it. Yeah, exactly. The thing that often inspires me for going outside and, and looking around me is, is trying to puzzle out those, those histories in the landscapes around us. I mean, Britain has been continuously populated for probably about 12,000 years and each one of those generations of, of humans has left their mark on the landscape around us. Even in, in really wild places, they're not natural wildernesses, they're shaped by human hands. And so to be able to walk up a, a Lake District fellside or across a highland um, track that perhaps may be more than a thousand years old, and to understand a little bit about the history, to, to have an idea of what clues you should be looking out for, that's... That's why I wrote the book, because I want to encourage people and inspire them to, to look, to become landscape detectives. So many people will know, obviously, about High Street and why High Street in the Lake District was so named. But there are lots of those kinds of things that we can find out in the book, too. High Street is a fantastic example. It's, it's kept this quirky name. You'll notice that it, that Roman Road actually skirts the top of the hill. It's, it's us modern hill walkers who like to go up to the trig point and touch the summit and take a selfie. The Romans were, were much more pragmatic than that. What they were trying to do is get to the fort in Ambleside. So they contour around the hill. It's a straight line. But here's the thing. Roman roads weren't as straight as we sometimes mythologise them to be. 
Romans were pragmatic people. If there was a massive hill in the way, then they'd skirt the road around the side. If there was a cliff, then you go around the bottom or around the top. But there are areas where you can see the remains of the um, road surface. You can see sections of drainage and culverts. You can sometimes, by looking at that, by walking through a landscape, puzzle out exactly why someone would choose to build a road in the way that they did. And for me, that's, that's really exciting. Something where I'm walking in the footsteps of my ancestors from 2,000 years ago, maybe even longer. That, that, that really excites me. And the great thing about this is we don't always have to be walking along the Pennine Way or those kinds of long distance trails to get to these kinds of places. Our short walks are just as good. Absolutely. If you're clambering to the top of a hill and you see a cairn at the top, most people think, oh, well, that's just normal walkers putting on a stone at the top. Possibly, but underneath there may be a Bronze Age burial cairn. So that's someone who was buried from about 2400 to about 1200 BC either a whole body buried at the top of the mountain or perhaps their cremated remains. And then the, the Bronze Age people would have built a heap of stones to commemorate that person. Now, later people might have added to it, but the next time you walk past a cairn, you can wonder who is under there. And possibly somebody very famous within the tribe. Well, exactly. So the, the key thing is that in the Stone Age, people were doing communal burials. So you might, on your walks, come across chambered tombs or long barrows. They're often marked on ordnance survey maps. But in the Bronze Age, there seems to have been a change of, of culture, perhaps religious practices, where people start to, instead of doing communal burying, they start to have individual graves. And you'll see them marked on maps. It says tumulus or tumuli, which is the plural. And often you get that kind of star-shaped hachur on, on the map. So you kind of go, oh, a little star shape, a little gothic bit of typeface on your map. That means that's an ancient Bronze Age cairn or a burial mound, an urban burial mound. So reading your book with an OS map is a perfect combination, really. I think so. So you can you can read the book and then go out for a walk, pull on your boots and get exploring. Use your eyes. Your number one eyeball is your best tool for landscape spotting. And it fills the whole family with excitement because not only are you going for a walk, you might have a, a target to achieve, getting to the top of the hill, getting to the side of the lake for your picnic, whatever it is. You might be walking through upwards of 6,000 years worth of history on the way. Or you can sit at home and be do a bit of armchair spotting as you're route planning or as you're just having a wonder and a wonder. There's so much history to be read in the landscape. And you can get more information about Mary Ann's book by visiting our website, walksaroundbritain.co.uk. In 2015, explorer Paul Rose made a series for the BBC to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Pennine Way, and it was so well received that in 2016, Paul's taken on the longest of England and Wales national trails, the South West Coast Path. And Paul joins me now to talk about it from Geneva. Paul, last time we chatted, you were on the podcast talking about the Pennine Way series, and this is another epic, isn't it? It is, and you can't go wrong with walking programmes in Britain because as, as a nation, we do love walking. It seems that we do uh, a couple of things very well. One of them is walking. It's, we're sort of a nation of walkers, and we also stare at the sea, don't we? You, know, you go to any <laughs> coast anywhere, and people arrive, and even if they're uh, sitting in the car or sitting in a car park or indeed walking, there's a sense of being at the coast looking out the sea. So, of course, the southwest coast path... Um, 
combines both. It's a, it's a hell of a lot of walking. It's terrific, and it's by the seaside, so it's perfect. Now, a lot of people do make the uh, incorrect assumption that the Pennine Way is the longest in, in Britain, but it isn't, is it? No, that's true. And the Pennine Way, everybody knows about the Pennine Way. And I spend a lot of my time travelling overseas, and I'm always amazed at the number of people that know the Pennine Way. Um, and not just because of my programme last year. <laughs> it has gone down through history as, as the great walk in Britain. And therefore... Loads of people assume it is the, the greatest, the longest, the, the most difficult, the highest everything. And so it surprises a lot of people, though it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone in Britain, that the southwest coastal path is the longest in Britain. So you start on the north coast, don't you, and you walk all the way around uh, the peninsula, you go through Devon and Cornwall and, and lots of different counties. Yeah, that's right. It starts up in Somerset. It's absolutely great, Minehead, because it's, it's very Victorian. So I, I had never been to Minehead. I mean, mostly my time in the southwest prior to doing this series and this walk, most of my time in the southwest was climbing and diving. So right. you, you can imagine how it works when it's dry, we'd rock climb, and uh, when it rained, we were in the sea diving. So... <laughs> I never went to Minehead, and it's, it's fantastic. It's a great start. It's an old Victorian seaside resort with all of those machines, you know, candy floss machines and, and the simple sort of gambling <laughs> machines and the ones that pick up furry animals and, and all that and all the music that goes with it and fish and chips. Oh, yes, and yes. It's, it's a great feeling to sort of pass through there. I sort of started to walk there and off I went. And after that little buzz and energy of the Victorian seaside front, very quickly... You're in, the, in this lovely park, and then you're on the walk. Mm. You're going up high onto the moor. And it's a terrific thing. It couldn't be a more energetic start. Then you're onto the north coast of Devon and, and Cornwall, and there's some gorgeous scenery around there. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, well, the, the, the big thing with walk is 630 miles. And anywhere else, it could be kind of a bit monotonous, where every day is about the same, and you walk a lot, long way and lots of effort, and the scenery doesn't change much. But on the southwest coast path... Every few minutes, the scenery changes because you go around the corner and there's the terrific view or you dip down into a deep valley and you can't see much. You're in the, you know, you're smelling the trees and feeling the wood and you can sense the sea off to the right hand side, but not actually see it through the dense trees. Then you pop out on the top again. It's, it's a really beautiful walk. Every, every single step seems to bring a, a fresh new view. And a lot of people think that when you've got a coastal path, you're going to be walking along the side of the water's edge all the time, and it's going to be quite flat. And that's not really the case here, is it? No, it isn't. It's, it, there's a lot of climbing. There's a huge <laughs> amount of climbing in this walk and a descent. So mm. what that means, is it's fun for us filming, because Joe, the great uh, producer and director, she would say to me, hey, Paul, if you nip over there and walk <laughs> back towards us, we'll uh, film you coming towards us. And so I'd look over and just sort of nip over there, wherever there was, and realise actually it's a, it was a long way because <laughs> I'd go along and then there'd be a whopping great descent that we hadn't seen. And then to cross the river, you'd have to go up river, come back and around. Yeah. So it was very funny. I'm sure in those early days of filming, Joe was expecting me to be gone sort of just a few minutes to get to the other side. And it turned out to be a bit of an epic <laughs> to appear on that hillside over there to be filmed coming towards us. So it, <laughs> it caught us out, you know. But those shots are the great shots, aren't they? They're sort of long shots with you quite far away in the distance. Distance, they're the ones that really put you in the context of the landscape. Exactly. Those long shots really help 
set the scene because, you know, I'm meeting great people. I'm doing energetic, fun activities and learning a lot on the way. Mm. But, of course, you've got to establish it. And the way to do that is to get these long, glorious shots. And that's either by a clever camera work and, and directing from Joe. And we also included the drone. We had a lot of drone time, which we were lucky. And with the great weather, it means those aerial mm. shots. You know, this, this small man in a blue jacket walking along, <laughs> tiny little speck with the green on yeah. one side and the beautiful Atlantic and the channel on the other side. You know, here's a man on the coast. You need yeah. to really establish that. You talked about the people there that you met along the way. It's not just a series about walking. It's about how the, the people are engaged with the Southwest Coast Path as well, isn't it? Exactly. And I think the contact with the people was one of the pieces of magic that uh, Joe was able to weave into this because, you know, that's how we tell great stories. I, I always think of Cousteau. Mm. You know, when Jacques Cousteau was talking to me yeah, on the yeah. television when I was just mm. a little boy and talking about the ocean, obviously I was excited about the sharks and the whales and the fish and all the marine life. But it was the people oh. that told the story. That's how we do it. You know, we can always see the grandeur of the landscapes and these beautiful life and marine life, but there's something about having people in there because then it seems as if it makes sense. And although I had a terrific time doing everything yeah. on that walk, it was the people that really made it for me. So which of the activities that you did along the way for the series really stood out for you? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I'm an explorer and I spend a lot of time on the physical side of life. That's how I sort mm. of engage with life is the physical. So, you know, it was terrific to do things that I hadn't done before, like hang gliding. I'd never done hang gliding. It was wonderful to jump in the sea with the coast earring. It was wonderful to, to snorkel and kayak mm. and go down the mines and everything and wonderful, you know, physical activities, the things that excite me. But the most terrifying thing I did really surprised me and that was I sang in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> yes. Nice. It was really something. I mean, every Friday, uh, oh, I think it's every Friday, in the Cadgeworth Cove, you know, the, these wonderful singers pitch up and sing, and it's the night everybody sings. So Joe had suggested that let's get him in there, let's get Paul in there, and he'll sing with these <laughs> fellas. And on the surface of it, I thought, well, what can possibly go wrong? Um, I'll join these fellas and, you know, have a good beer on the, on the coast and, and sing along. But of course, it's not just a sing along. These singers are unbelievably good. I mean, they're world class, moving, emotional, terrific committed singers with great voices when they all sing together it's a wonderful thing so as soon as they started all of my confidence just evaporated um and i thought well what am i supposed to do here and uh so i was talking to some people at the bar there and having a beer and hoping that if i kept my head down um perhaps um, it wouldn't happen and i actually said to, to the chap next to me he said well are you going to sing I said, well, oof, I've, just, uh, I've just lost all my courage. I said, Dean, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to do it. And at that instant, Joe popped her head around and said, you're on. <laughs> no so escape. You know, it was a bit like walking to the gallows. But luckily, uh, the singers were so good to me. Um, and they'd prepared a, a song sheet because they know all the nice. words, but they had given me a song sheet. Um, and I had a huge amount of fun in the end. But what a <laughs> gripper. Perhaps not what you expected when you signed up for the series. No, exactly. It was the last thing. I mean, Joe was asking if I was okay up with heights and am I all right jumping in the water yeah, and, yeah. you know, am I okay not a problem. around the yeah. boats? And I was saying, yes, yes, absolutely. Happy to try these things. You know, like, I'm all spend my life in the water and climbing and everything, so I'm happy with all that. Um, but uh, what she didn't ask, and probably a good job she didn't, is 
am I happy standing up in front of lots of people and singing? <laughs> <laughs> so it's been out in the southwest already, and it's going to be on BBC Two, so the whole country can see it. And it's also going to be the first time it's been shown in HD as well. Yes, that's right. I think it's lovely that it comes out in the regions first, the same way as the Pennine Way. I think it's a lovely way of doing that. And so it ran in the southwest, and now on Friday, 8.30pm on uh, BBC Two, it starts. And I have to say, it is a glorious-looking thing. It is. It's a great series to watch. There's some brilliant landscapes in there, some great countryside to see along this epic walk, and you meet some fantastic yes, people along yes, the way. Yes, yes, right, well, well, there you go. It's, a, it's been a terrific series. So you've already got another one that you've filmed for the BBC, haven't you? Another one lined up. Yes, I've actually finished it for BBC, and this one, um, although the you know here's the southwest coastal path, which is the longest, I think I've done a television programme about one of the shortest but very <laughs> beautiful walks called The Wolds Way, and that's up in the oh, north yes, yes. I've finished it. It comes out in February, and yes, yes. again, it looks beautiful. It doesn't have quite the majesty and grandeur of South West, but it is a very beautiful walk. It goes from Humber uh, up to Filey, the Filey Coast. So it's a, it's a short walk, and we did the whole thing, and it's absolutely lovely, and that comes out in February. So I'm on a good run with these walking programmes. That's fantastic. It's always great to see more walking on television. Yes, yes. Paul, thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks, thanks buddy. Keep up the great work, Andrew. See you soon. And Paul's series starts on BBC Two in the UK on Friday the 18th of November at 8.30 and will be available for 30 days afterwards on the BBC iPlayer. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Walks Britain. We're also on Facebook, Instagram and a range of other social networks as well. So we'd love for you to get in touch. But until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking.